Welcome to the Austrian American History Podcast, a podcast featuring interviews with scholars examining the historic relationship between the United States and Austria across several disciplines and fields. Hello, my name is Dr. Allison Kreitzer, and I am Director of Public History and Programming for the Botstieber Institute for Austrian American Studies. In March 2018, I was visiting Budapest and attending a conference at Central European University hosted by the Institute for Advanced Studies at CEU and the Botstieber Institute for Austrian American Studies. The conference, New Perspectives on Central European and Transatlantic Migration, brought together scholars from around Europe and the United States to discuss new trends in migration history. One of the conference participants was Theodora Bauer, who is an Austrian author who recently wrote a historical fiction novel centered around transatlantic migration. This novel is her second novel and is entitled Chicago. It features an account of a family who migrated from Bergenland to the United States over multiple generations. Here's Theodora giving a brief plot overview of her new book, Chicago. The plot of the book starts out in 1921, at a time where the region that's now known as Burgenland, so a county of Austria, was not yet Burgenland. It was about to become Burgenland. 1921 is always the year that we celebrate as Burgenland having joined Austria, but I, I asked myself the question when and how, and this played an important role in like when I actually let the plot start out, namely really in the time where it was like in limbo, where people could not really be sure about what was going to happen to them and to this region. So it starts out in 1921, and it ends in 1937. There's four parts of the book. They are set in 1921, 1922, 1937, and 1937. And I'm going to be a bit technical here. There's a lot of mirroring going on in the book. So like the first part is set in Burgenland, then they leave for the States. Then the third part is set in the States, then they leave for Burgenland. And it also like focuses on two generations. Um, and they mainly do not talk to each other. Like there are just things that have to be repeated because they're not being talked about. So what happens is um, a bunch of uh, people from Bergenland emigrate to the States in 1921. Um, only one of them manages to really like make it, as we would say. Like she manages to have like a, su a successful life within her realm. And um, there's a young boy, like her, her nephew, and she kind of like raises him, but he doesn't really know about where he came from and, and he doesn't really know his family's history. And um, yeah, when he finds out, <laughs> He's 15, he gets really mad, that leads to conflicts, and eventually him and his aunt have to leave for Burgenland again. And the year is 1937, and as we all know, 1937 was probably not a happy year. Again, a year where people probably had the feeling that their own destinies, that the political future of their country was in limbo. And there were a lot of uh, weird things happening in Burgenland. It was uh, interesting, but also scary to research. For example, I found out that 40% of, of civil servants in Burgenland were members of the illegal Nazi party because it was illegal in 1937 in Austria. And that's a high percentage. So the book also ends in 1937. A lot of people have told me that the ending is very sad and very hopeless. And um, what I told them is it can't be anything else if you let it end at this point. Knowing what happened afterwards, it just has to be a sad ending. Bergenlanders emigrated to Chicago in large numbers beginning in the 1890s. 
By the 1920s, a second major wave of immigration was occurring from Austria to the United States, and many Bergenlanders decided to come to Chicago through the process of chain migration. This means that they already had relatives or acquaintances that were living in Chicago, and they could help them then start their new lives in the United States. I actually accidentally discovered this um, little like settlement in a, in, a, in a village in Bergenland called Chicago. Um, this village is called Kitsi. It's only mentioned once explicitly in the novel, but people who know know where this village is. It used to be a suburb of Bratislava, and um, the border that kind of like separated the suburb from the city later on became the Iron Curtain, so it was like a very serious border. And people for years would like, I mean, I wasn't born then, but I just imagined you would stand there like in the middle of nowhere and just look at this huge city that's within your reach, like it's not even five kilometers away, you see it, but still it's, it's intangible for you. Um, so it's like this weird place and it has, um, it has a chocolate factory that actually produces really good chocolate and I was going there to actually get some of that chocolate but I got lost and ended up in this, in this settlement and then I kind of like acquired further why they would call it Chicago, Chicago Erste Bissimte Gasse, and these are like ancient, um, <laughs> like very old uh, houses from Burgenland, like they classically look like Burgenlandische Bauernhäuser, you know, farmer's houses. And it's just so funny because like the, the contrast, the visual contrast is just so stark. Like you've got these very traditional houses and the name. So you see how, how deeply ingrained this migration is in, in, in the country, but still people don't really remember it as much as I thought they would have. And this was one of the reasons why I actually chose to write that novel. If a story is told, it's only the story of the successful and like you have this delegation consisting mainly of, of very old people going there and the, the kind of like um, the clubs, the Vereine in Chicago or in the US also consist of very, very old people. Like they have choirs, they have like Burgenland bunches, what they call it, Burgenlandische Gemeinschaft. They used to even have um, Miss and like elections for Miss, Miss Burgenland in Chicago and New York in the 1970s and 80s. So that was like a thriving community but now like people have aged. There were like three big waves of immigration into Burgenland. One of them happened, I think, towards the end of the 19th century. The one that I'm writing about happened in the 1920s, and it sort of stopped when these quota laws were implemented. And uh, the third one happened in the 1950s. When I went to Chicago to research my novel, I actually talked to people who are also very old now, but not dead as the people <laughs> who emigrated in the 1920s would have been. So I talked to the people who emigrated in the 1950s. They've got interesting destinies. Like the two men were, that I talked to were leaders in this society, so, so they were willing to talk to me. And they both married German-speaking uh, wives, for example. But the, the other reason, actually the main reason, the title just worked really well, the main reason why I chose Chicago as, uh, as a place is for me, Chicago is like emblematic of the modern world, emblematic of like a fusion of so many different things happening in this one node. So you, have, you had like Chicago as the gateway to the West, um, that meant that a lot of railway like tracks would lead up there, so it was like this railway uh, gateway actually, and it was just logical that they would put the meatpacking industry there. And it's so interesting to me, like it opened in 1865. That was the end of the American Civil War, so I'm imagining they put down their weapons, <laughs> and immediately after that, like really serious capitalist endeavors started in the region. Most immigrants to Chicago during this period of the 1920s worked in stockyards, construction, or for railroad companies. 
Theodora Bauer talks extensively about the rising labor movement in Chicago during this period of the 1920s and 1930s. So what, what people would associate with Chicago is like crime, like the bad kind of crime, and the glamorous kind of crime, like Al Capone, Flapper Girls, uh, Prohibition, stuff like this. And I kind of like wanted to also look at this other side of Chicago. It was a place where a lot of labor fights were going on. It's also part, part of this is devoted, like the part of the book is devoted to this because I'm really interested in that. And that kind of like vanished from official American history telling, I have the feeling like you never hear that there's like such a big labor movement going on, at least not in the, in the, in the way that America represents itself through its media production to the outside world. Like it's just, it's just not there. But that things are, are, are vanishing in history like this is just remarkable to me. And I know that I want to write something about this, not necessarily about the U.S., but about labor movements in the future. Like, it's, it's something that I'm really interested in. So, so this is the reason, like, why I chose Chicago. It's just such an interesting place, like, uh, philosophically, sociologically, and also, like, symbolically. Even though this is a work of historical fiction, Theodora spent extensive amounts of time in archives, as well as conducting oral history interviews, to gain relevant historical information for this project. So I actually did a lot of research. If you if you like ask writers, um, the kind of research that they usually do um, is not this. Um, I think partly because they weren't trained in that, they might not enjoy it. They you know like want to create a poetic version of something and don't want to like mess with the details. But I really went in there and did that, and I'm I'm happy I did. It was very exhausting, but I'm happy I did. I had a lot of help. I also put in like a, a thank you at the end of the book, and I wouldn't have done this if I wouldn't have meant it, you know, so there was like a lot of people helping me. So I went to Chicago for a month. A friend of mine was kind enough to let me stay at his flat there, which was amazing. Um, another person just opened the doors to these people for me because I couldn't like just walk into their house and say, hey, I'm here. Like somebody had to announce me and say, okay, this person is actually not intending to hurt you or do something to you at your house. Um, I went to Hamburg and Bremerhaven to um, check out these like Auswandermusen, um, emigrants immigrants museums they were really good I had a long conversation uh, via email with, with a historian in one of uh, those those places I went to a tiny museum that um, a man who's really vested in, in this topic opened up in Gussing in, in Burgenland where they had like very curious exhibits very cute exhibits so I walked into the museum and I see this huge flag huge beautiful flag embroidered the colors of Austria gold and embroidered and it said um, Chicago, I think it was Chicago, Burgenländischer Krankenverein. So, like, um, basically, the insurance, Burgenländischer, like, and I was like, why the hell would they make such a beautiful flag for their Krankenverein? And it, then I thought about it, and I was like, of course, this is their life insurance, you know, like, they created themselves in the community a Krankenverein, which would, like, which was essential, actually, to them. So the, the flag made sense, but yeah, he, he just assembled stuff like this, and it's very interesting to, to, to walk around there. I am always telling the story because I think it's so interesting and it's emblematic for, for the help that I got. So I wrote like a long email to the Heeresgeschichtliches um, Museum in Vienna, to the Military History like State Museum in Vienna, and I wrote this huge email with like details that I needed. For example, like how old do these people have to be in order to not have been drafted for the war? Um, and yeah, stuff like this. So I wrote this huge email. I sent it to Presse at Museum, and I didn't get an answer for some weeks. And I was like, okay, this is, this is not happening. I see that. And then 
I didn't expect it anymore. The, the director himself wrote like a huge email to me, like answering all these questions in detail. And I had the feeling he was really happy that somebody, you know, wanted to know stuff about that. And I was happy that he answered. So I encountered, I'm sure that I forgot people now, but I'm, I encountered this help all the way. Yes, I also talked to um, a historian from Burgenland. Many of them are former teachers. Like I think they, they, they also look at it as, as a very, as a hobby they, they practice very well. Um, one of them, he's, he's called Herbert Brettl, and he, he mainly worked on um, like Second World War, pre-Second World War, post-Second World War work in land. And his work was very enlightening to me too. Return migration is a topic that is currently getting a lot of academic attention right now from migration scholars. And this is something that Theodora Bauer discusses extensively towards the end of her book, Chicago. Two of the main characters decide to leave Chicago in the 1930s and return to their native village in Bergenland. That positions them to be in Bergenland then right at the start of World War II. I, it's, it's upon me to like create the bigger picture and, and this is actually the feeling that I had. I had the feeling that there was so much special knowledge that hadn't been put together and I was like, oh my gosh, what am I doing? Like what's going on, you know? And I, and I had to do that. Of course, I'm very happy that um, like this book is a book of fiction. This is what I intended it to be. And um, I'm also very happy that people see the work that's been put into it, but that they don't hold it up to the same standards as an academic work. Throughout the process of her archival research, Theodora Bauer gained ideas of historical individuals and stories that ended up working their way into her fictional account. Some of these major events and players can be traced through the historical record. What I did is I remixed certain stories, I remixed certain like um, uh, biographies that happened, but the people that I'm portraying in my novel, they did not happen in that way. Like these are not real people, but they could have existed. This is what I made sure of. And there are certain elements of biographies that I just, as I said, remixed and put together in a new manner. And when you talk to people, you realize how many people are affected by that, for example, by this family splitting. People are touched so deeply because they were like left behind by their parents. Of course their parents loved them. That was not the question, but they just knew that they couldn't care for them. And that affected them deeply, for example. Or you have like the, the, the adventurous aunt going, going to the States, being there alone. Like you have like mythical figures thrown into, like woven into these biographies. Like there's a lot of stuff and of research to, that went into this book. And that like, let me say a lot of stories different stories made this story happen ultimately. And you knew when to stop researching and uh, yes. start writing and finishing. Yes, you have to do that. Yeah. Like you have to be, you have to be strict. Like I, I, I'm guessing that's a problem for academics too because you're just like amassing so much material. No, I, like you have to be strict with yourself. And you, you, like ultimately, it's easier when you tell yourself, you're doing this for the book. You want to write the best book possible. It's not about proving to anyone how much you know. It's not about proving to yourself. How much. You already know that you can write. You already know that you know a lot of stuff. So you want to write a good book. You want to write a book where exactly, like it contains exactly the words and the amount of words that it should contain. Es ist genau das gesagt, was gesagt werden muss. This is the more elegant version of, of putting this. And in this, in this sense, it's also not advisable or it's also not smart to like, like write these like huge elaborate uh, things that uh, just show that you know it, you know, because it's not necessary for the story. Like yeah. as long as you as you have the, the, the best interest of your story, of your work um, at heart, 
it's really easy. Thank you to Central European University for this amazing conference on migration studies. And a special thank you to Theodore Bauer for taking the time to chat about her new work, Chicago. The Austrian American History Podcast is produced by the Botsteber Institute for Austrian American Studies. Bias seeks to promote an understanding of the historic relationship between the United States and Austria, including Habsburg, Austria. In addition to public programming, Bias sponsors an annual fellowship and grant program and the publication of the Journal of Austrian American History. To learn more, visit www.botsteber.org or like us on Facebook at the Botsteber Foundation.